Welcome to Financially Ever After, where award-winning and nationally recognized financial expert Stacy Francis will bring you savvy tips and words of wisdom on how to secure your financial future before, during, and after divorce. For 30 minutes every other week, you'll hear personal stories from women who have either faced or are currently facing this transition. In addition, you'll also soak up knowledge and inspiration from the industry's top legal, financial, residential, and mental health professionals. And now here's our host, Stacy Francis. So welcome everyone to Financially Ever After. Today we have a wonderful guest, Molly Mayer, and she is going to be telling us a little bit about her journey, her journey as a mom and as a woman who has launched her life on her own. And let me just give you a little bit of background. Um, Molly is very busy. busy. She's a solopreneur, single mom, homeowner, and dog lover, which I am right there with you. And I know that the listeners can't see this, but right now we have Shadow, my little dog, here in the office today too. So um, when she's not raising her daughter, walking her dog, doing laundry or cooking dinner, she has her own business called Life Management Pros. Um, it's a And she is a personal productivity trainer, which all I can say is I feel like we, we all could use that. We could all use that. Um, she got her start, her financial start as a kid, shining her father's shoes for 50 cents a pair. Even though her father passed away, unfortunately, many years ago, she still has that shoe shine kit and the knowledge her parents passed on about financial stability. So welcome, and it's great to have you, you here. Thank so you. tell me more about that, the lessons that your parents told you and taught you about financial stability. Um, well, I think what I learned from shining shoes, and my father also liked fresh squeezed orange shoes, so my sister and I, who's of an older sister would squeeze the oranges for 25 cents each because we'd split the 50 cents, um, was hard work pays off. Yes. If you put in the work, you you get paid for it. So if you do quality work, it'll be recognized. And over time, you'll make more money and more money and more money. And I think that's really the most valuable lesson I learned. The second lesson I learned um, more so from my mother than my father was living within your means Mm -hmm, was mm -hmm. really being clear on what your budget is how much you know you can afford to spend on certain things i mean you need the basics you need shelter you need food you need clothes but everything beyond that is sort of extra yeah and how much money do you have to spend on the extra i was required starting in high school to create a budget for what i was going to spend on back to school clothing i love it and present it and then my mother would take me shopping and then I was supposed to fill in actually what I spent to see the difference Mm -hmm. and it really taught me to understand how much things cost yep you know and think about oh well do I really need another pair of blue jeans I already have three pairs yep can I live with the three pairs I have and use that money to buy something I need more Mm -hmm. so Mm So did that translate um, into your marriage as well? Were you the the person that was, you know, essentially there with the calculator, tabulating, making sure that the budget and, and that you guys were I following was, all that? I was the, what I would call the short-term person. I was the budget person. I paid the bills. And my ex-husband was more the long-term in terms of, you know, investments. And that's okay. sort of his area of expertise. I mean, he's trained as a copywriter and content writer, and his experience had been in, to this day is still financial services companies. So he understood more about the markets and bonds and all that than I ever 
I think will understand. So I let him handle that part. And then I did the part I understood, which was the day to day operations. Yeah. How are you doing now? Um, now that you're on your own post-divorce, and how many years has it been since that you guys, has it been three years yet? Yes. Three years. Okay. And you were married for, for how long? Uh, we were married for thir- almost 13 years. Almost 13 years. And your daughter is now 12, is yes. that right? So how has that been for you now being responsible for not only the day-to-day, which you are like a master pro at, which I have to say kudos, high five, <laughs> um, but now you're also responsible for that longer term piece. And it sounds like it's not something that you've had a whole lot of experience, at least during your marriage, um, getting up to speed on. Yes. Um, I was fortunate in two ways. The first way I was fortunate in terms of my marriage was I came to the marriage with some money from inheritance. I left the marriage with that money. And the second thing I was fortunate about was my ex-husband and I decided when we got married not to merge our accounts. We decided to have one joint account to run our household. So we each walked away with our own personal bank accounts, investment accounts, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. and all of that. What I have been doing this year, because I focused the first couple of years after my divorce on managing the day-to-day and keeping yeah. things running smoothly for my daughter and you know, making sure that she was getting time to see her father and, and being with her friends and spending time with her grandparents and things like that, that I opted to spend this year on what I called a health of wealth journey, which is looking specifically at my long-term finances, like where am I invested? Why mm-hmm. am I invested there? Um, talking to my financial advisor, deciding if my financial advisor, which sort of came with the money I inherited, is the right person for me, or do I need to think about moving to someone else who I pick, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. or do I want to move all the money? And since that time, um, my divorce, I've started the process of my divorce, I inherited some more money and that money stayed with the advisor it came with. Well, do I want to leave it there now? Do I want to move that? You know, it's, Mm -hmm. so I've been starting to look and, you know, sort of figure out what the long-term projection is. Um, I run my own business. So I'm starting to think, you know, when do I want to retire? How do I want to retire? Yeah. That kind of stuff. And so make sure that I'm saying this right. The health of wealth. Yes. It's the health of wealth journey. Yes. And I love it because uh, you've definitely leaned into the day-to-day finances. That's something that I can just tell that you're comfortable with. And actually, it's interesting because a lot of women, um, that is their role. They, they, they have been either solely responsible or in conjunction with their, their husband um, paying the bills on, a, on an ongoing basis. But this is a new piece, and it's that new piece of the investment. And so I have to give you huge kudos because you're now leaning into that. And for a lot of us, and myself included, when I came to this field, I had no problem balancing my budget. But looking and deciding, am I in the right investments? How do I save? How much do I need for retirement? Um, I was clueless. I was clueless. And it, it felt very frightening and scary. It's, it's kind of like, um, you know, being put in a sailboat in the middle of the Atlantic Ocean, um, never having sailed in your entire life, figuring out how do I get back to New right, York City. Exactly. And and that's essentially what you do. You you have this portfolio, you're in the middle of the ocean, and you're trying to sail it back to New York City and, and not sure even how you do there's, that. There's also a difference um, between understanding the different instruments 
in your portfolio. Like I understand what stocks and bonds are. I understand about, you know, municipal bonds versus federal bonds and corporate bonds. But whether that's the right vehicles for me to be in was the next question. Yeah. So let's go back to how did you learn about all these vehicles? Because what you just spewed out um, is extremely technical. So you're talking about different types of bonds and you're talking about different types of stocks and all the different kinds. How did you educate yourself to understand what a municipal bond is, which just for our listeners, that's a, a bond that's issued by your local municipality. So here in New York City, um, you can buy MTA bonds uh, from the subway. And so you can own uh, a bond that is issued by our MTA. And there are some benefits. In particular, if you're living in here in New York, um, they, the interest you get, you don't have to pay taxes. You don't have to pay federal, state, or even local tax. But, but how did you get to be savvy even on that piece? Um, two ways. The first is when I was first out of college, a family friend who was a financial advisor recommended a book called Understanding Wall Street. I don't know if it's still in print or not, but it went through all the different vehicles and what they were. Love it. And I bought the book and read it. And I remember my older sister saying to me, because she'd been at the same meeting, when you're done with the book, let me borrow it and I'll read it. And I knew the minute I finished it, if I loaned it to her, I'd never get it back. So I still have it. <laughs> I said, no. You're too smart. Um, and I spent several years working for an auction company whose um, main, what they, their main focus was financial history. So it was all about stock certificates and bonds and autographs and coins and, and other photographs and other business ephemera. And so I really got to understand sort of the history Mm -hmm. of that area. So I understood what they were in their history, but I didn't understand how that worked or didn't work for me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And that's what I've been exploring this yeah. year. So what I'm hearing, Molly, is that you were able to figure out, you know, now I understand what the different types of stocks are. I understand all the different types of bonds. Um, but my big question now is, how do I put it in that's, that's right for, for me? And I almost think about it like I, you know, I'll look at the, the the pictures of the the new fall line or the new winter line that's coming out of clothing, and it all looks so beautiful. But um, what's right for me, right? Exactly. What, what's going to fit these hips um, that are very different every, size hips than know, twenty years ago? Every investor is different. Yeah. So how they diversify their portfolio in terms of whether it's stocks, bonds, real estate, whatever it is, is going to be different. Yep. And it has to fit that person. Exactly. And, you know, you bring up such a great point because a portfolio that's right for you in your situation could be completely inappropriate for another woman who, again, depending on your age, that the closer you get to retirement, the more that you need to have that more conservative slant. A little bit more bonds. It could be that you are behind saving. And if someone is behind savings, unfortunately, they might have to have more stocks, more engine in that portfolio than maybe they really ideally would like to try and to try and catch up. Right. Um, there are all these different pieces that, that play a, a big role. So tell me, how are you going through the steps right now to educate yourself about what portfolio is right for me? And and also, I want to hear too, how are you thinking about who that ideal financial advisor is and whether or not your current advisors fit that mold? Um, well, the first, it, to answer your first part of the question is the steps I've been going through is 
first off, I, I read earlier this year um, a book called Mind Over Money by the Klontzes, and it's a father and son, and they are sort of money therapists. Mm -hmm, and mm -hmm. their very essence of their book is, what is your money story? And that was important to me because I think that informs how you invest. Mm -hmm. If you know what your money story is, you know what the issues are with it. If there are any, you can correct that. <clears throat> and so then it gets corrected in terms of your investments. The second step was to meet with my current financial advisor and talk to her, you know, what is the market doing? Why am I in this stock and not this stock? Or what, why these bonds? And, you know, if the rate of return percentage on the bonds is 5%, you know, what does that mean in terms of long-term? Mm -hmm. growth in that area of my portfolio and why is this much in cash and then you know what's the purpose and then I reached out to a, another financial advisor I know through a networking group I'm in and sat down with her and said okay here's my current portfolio mm -hmm. here's the report what do you think a second opinion right exactly like talk to me as a means to see if she was the right person but also for a second opinion, exactly, to say, am I doing this the right way? Because she's someone I know well enough that she wouldn't just pitch me and be like, come to me, yeah. work with me. She was someone who would sit down with me and say, yes, I'll review this. I'll tell you you're on the right track or you're not. And so I've been sort of deciding, is she the right person? Do I need to think and do a third person just to be sure? Yeah. So that's part of it. You know, and I, I think the key when you're looking for a financial advisor, if you don't already have one, is to ask if you're course friends and family if they have one but also you know if you have a good relationship with someone you work with in terms of a business relationship like maybe your accountant mm -hmm, or mm -hmm. your trust and estates attorney you know that's someone who might know somebody that you could reach that can make a referral for you as well so i my heart is pitter pattering and i'm i'm so happy to hear this um the first thing that i think is so powerful that all the women need to hear on this podcast is the first thing you did is you asked your financial advisor questions. You asked, why do I have this much cash? Why am I invested this way? What does that mean? Um, you know, why am I in this stock investment and not that one? This one seems to be doing a whole lot better than that one. Does this really make sense? Not only for today, but for the long term. And there are a lot of women though that are intimidated by their advisor that have a hard time uh, asking questions. Somehow I, I think that they feel that if they're asking a question that their advisor might, they might hurt their advisor's feelings because their advisor might think, oh, are they, are they second guessing me? Um, FY, as an advisor, we love clients that ask questions, but, but how, how did you get up the courage um, to go in there and to ask those those questions? Um, I got up the courage because when I was married, I used to meet regularly with the advisor just to go over stuff. And because my husband was more knowledgeable than I was, he would come. Mm -hmm. Even though it was my money, my account, I let him come and talk to her and say, no, I think my wife should be in, you know, stocks this percentage and the rest of the portfolio should be in other stuff and that kind of stuff. And I saw the way he did it. Like he didn't hold back and say, no, yeah. I don't think this is right. And I thought, well, if he can do it, why can't I? Good for you. So once I started meeting with her just myself, I started doing the same thing saying, well, he had said last time we should be, you know, invested only 75% in equities. Why are we at 80% or, you know, 
What's we're going down on? to 65. Like, why? What's the market doing? So it really started me in the process of feeling comfortable asking questions because he was doing it yeah. when we would go. And I thought, okay, I can do this too. Like, yeah. Yeah. What's the big deal? Do you feel like because you started to ask questions that, that you're starting to learn more too? Yes. And, and that's key. And that's wonderful. And I love too how you're taking that knowledge, you're taking her answers and you're going for another person because you could get a, a very different opinion. Yes. You v could get a very different opinion. And if you do, um, that tells you something. If it, it's the exact same reasoning uh, as they look at it, then that tells you something too. Right. I also think with asking questions, you're anytime you're with a, an expert or professional in a certain field and you start asking questions, I don't think they view it as an, oh, this person's annoying, they're asking me questions or second guessing me. They view it as this person wants to learn more. This person wants to understand. Yeah, this person's engaged. And they take engaged. you more seriously. Mm -hmm. And then my financial advisor is more likely to reach out to me with questions she has or with information because she knows I'm engaged and I'm interested. Yeah. So that's the big piece to me is I'm showing my interest and I get it back yep. the same way. That's great. That's great. And essentially what you're doing is you're, you're leaning into your finances. And yes. even though um, it, it, I can see it being somewhat intimidating and frightening, it's also sounding like the more that you're leaning in, the, the more, comfortable you're getting yes. and the more knowledgeable. Absolutely. That's great. So when you think about that financial advisor, um, you gave us a couple ideas of, of how do you find a good advisor? And it's reaching out to your family and friends. Who are they using? Um, it's reaching out to other trusted advisors, maybe your accountant, CPA, or trust in estate. Um, what are some other things that you think about um, that's important for a financial advisor for you? Um, I think some of the other things that's important for a financial advisor, for me, for her, the financial advisor to know, and I think this is true of anyone who's a parent, first of all, they have to understand you have a child and how old your child is. Um, they would need to understand what you're doing to save for college. We have, a five, we started when my daughter was born, a 529 account for her and I still keep it up. Um, and, and, and that is important because they need to know what you're doing separate from them. Yes. They need to know, you know, your bank account and how much you keep in it on a monthly basis. And are you going to be looking to take money from your investment accounts on a monthly basis, whatever it is, to support that? Um, I own my own home. Am I going to need money at periodic times of the year for, you know, maintenance on the home? Mm -hmm. How much? Mm -hmm. Should we make sure that there's cash on hand to cover that at any point you call up and say, oh, my God, the heater died, which I had last January. Oh, bless. <laughs> in January of all times. Yeah. You know, and, and fit, you know, be able to get the cash right away to fix it. So I think that's really important to me. And it doesn't necessarily need to be a certified divorce financial planner, but someone who understands what that means. Exactly. And who understands that you're no longer a couple and there are going to be some issues regarding that. And especially, you know, as I said, I'm lucky in that what I came to my marriage with, I left, but there are people out there who have to split everything 50 50 because they joined it together and then they're starting over. Yeah. And it's like financial advisors have to be cognizant of that starting over period and what that means. And mm -hmm. just, you know, ending a marriage, there's a grieving period. I mean, you thought it would be forever and it's not. And yeah. you have to allow for that too. And, you know, do a lot more handholding at the beginning than you would a regular client who's just coming in and saying, here's my money. Yeah. And 
I, I had a person tell me um, that when she went to go look at different financial advisors, um, she she had a, a really smart rule that if they launch into straight talking about the money and didn't ask her about, you know, who was in her life and, and did she have people, you know, children or, or parents that she was caring for, if they didn't ask her about what was important about money to her and um, what would give her financial security. And if they didn't start to talk about and ask her about her goals of, you know, what would make you happy one year from now? And, you know, what might be some possibilities of what you'd love your life to look like maybe even five or 10 years that she would at that point realize, okay, this is, this is going to be an advisor that's going to just focus on investments. While that is extremely important, you know that it's so much more than that. It's so, that, that's like a, that's half of the pie, half of the apple pie. You have the other half of the apple pie that includes making sure you have your emergency fund, how much is in your savings account that you're going to be okay, making sure right. that you're on track for retirement, on track for, uh, for college. And then there are all these other pieces that you have to think about after college, after divorce of changing all your beneficiaries, updating your will, making sure that your joint auto insurance is now just under your name. Um, I mean, there are so many things to think about that if you're just focusing on the investment portfolio, it's like you're walking around the whole, your whole life with your right hand behind your back trying to just operate with your left hand, um, which really is hard for me because I am right-handed, so I kind of need that right hand. Um, so I, I love that one of the things that you're looking at when you're looking at advisors is that they get your whole picture. Yes, absolutely. Your whole picture. Tell me about how do you make a decision with advisors about how they charge? Because there's a lot of different ways that, that advisors charge. There are advisors that uh, charge a percentage of assets under management. Um, there are others that charge a percentage of assets under management plus any commissions if they, if you, um, you know, if you buy uh, maybe a life insurance product or an annuity or, or something from them. And then there are even uh, those that work hourly. Do you, do you feel like you have a clear understanding about how your advisor charges? Um, I feel I do have a clear understanding of how Good. my advisor charges. I don't necessarily wouldn't say I choose an advisor based on how they charge. I look at the bigger picture. Yep. How they charge their fees is part of it, but it's probably way down at the bottom because to me, it's more important that they understand who I am and what my needs are than I worry about, you know, what the percentage of fee, whether it's, you know, two and a half percent or three percent, you know, that's not the biggest deal to me yeah. in the long run. But I, I love that you know how they charge because the biggest challenge that I hear from some women is that they don't have a clear understanding. And when they ask their advisor, sometimes they're very upfront and very clear that look at this and they have their spreadsheet. Um, but others, um, they walk away. That woman may not have a clear idea even after the explanation. And they feel like they miss something. And and really, if 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 you don't understand what your advisor is getting it, even after they explain it, it's not because you're not smart. It means that they're not doing a good enough job 
and exactly, being clear because it shouldn't be that difficult to explain. I charge X percentage of assets under management and I charge X commission, you know, for this and for that. Mm-hmm. It's that simple, you know. When I was getting my second opinion, she was like, here's how I do my fees. I charge this and this is how it works. And I was like, okay, I get it. Done. That's great. And you know what I love too, Molly, is that she shared that information yes. with you up front. Yes. It, there, there wasn't hiding. And I, I can imagine that that's got to feel much more comforting when someone's like, do you want to hear how I charge? Do you want to talk through that? That That's wonderful because you know that they're, they're being above board. Yes, And exactly. they're really, really, really clear. And I think when you're doing your research on a financial advisor, that's something you need to ask them is what are your fees and how yeah. do you charge? Yeah. You know, because that's going to be part of the comparables when you look, you know, and say, oh, well, this one charges 2%, but this one charges 5%. If they're mm-hmm. still both really good advisors, you probably want to go with the 2% because it's cheaper. Exactly. Exactly. Tell me about you feeling on top of your finances and you feeling financially secure. Is it a certain number of times that you want to meet with your advisor? Um, for you, what what gives you that that comfort? Because there are some women, particularly this is brand new to them, and they might be thinking, should I be meeting with my advisor every month? Or is once a year okay? Um, which kind of scares me about the once a year. But um, what makes you feel comfortable? And what would you suggest to my the women here? current advisor has recommended meeting every quarter. Love whether it. Whether it's in person or over the phone. And she gives me a little booklet that shows the latest numbers and the stocks I'm in and goes over everything with me and talks me through everything and gives me an opportunity to ask questions, especially if there's a company on the equities list that I've never heard of, like, what does this company do? And, you know, why, why this company versus another? I remember years ago being invested in a company that made prosthetics. And I asked her about it and she said, oh, well, every 10 years, if you get a prosthetic, you have to replace it. So it's a good investment because every 10 years, someone needs to buy a new one. Mm-hmm. I thought, oh, so if I get a prosthetic, I need to go back every 10 years. That's good to know. That's good to know. But yeah, put that in the budget. Yeah, I mean, I would say to start out with every quarter and then maybe if you feel more secure, maybe every six months. Yep. But definitely, I just I still do every quarter because I think it's important to know where your money is yeah, and, and where it's going and what it's doing. Yeah, and, and also it shows you're engaged. Yes. And like you said, by you just even being engaged, asking questions, to be honest, you're probably gonna get more proactive service too. Yes, exactly. And that's something and I think that's to, true of anything. Yeah, no, that that, that is. I mean, I, I, I don't wanna say the squeaky wheel, um, you know, wins, but in some ways, uh, you know, it's important that that you are able to say what your needs are and, and exactly. have, them, have them taken care of. That's good. So I, we, I would love to hear from you, um, what in your what in your divorce do you feel like you did right? Uh, and then what do you feel like looking back, maybe you wish you had done differently? Just as a advice to the the women who are listening that either are going still going through the process or starting to finish up. Um, I think to start with, I think what I didn't do right was I went into the process not fully understanding what the process was how long it would take, what it would entail, all the meetings with the lawyer and, you know, all the information I would need to turn over in terms of my finances, in terms of my life, in terms of my child, and really understanding the aspects of how my child fit in to the divorce beyond some custody agreement that we were going to decide upon. 
the, what I did right was I made sure during the, the process of the divorce and even afterwards that whatever relationship I had or didn't have with my ex was between us mm-hmm. and that whatever relationship my child had between her her and her father was between them and really tried to separate the two mm-hmm. to make sure that I wasn't saying to her, bad things to her about her father, but at the same time, you know, was clear to him on how I wanted to relate to him and say, what you do with our child is between the two of you. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to get in the middle of that. I'm not going to discourage her from seeing you or tell her she can't, whatever. I'm not that kind of person. In fact, in the very beginning, when he moved out, he came every Sunday for dinner because she didn't want to see him. She was bitter. She was angry. And I said, you can't just kick him out of your life. I remember you sharing that, that that was um, the last time we met you. That was one of the challenges of she didn't want to go to see him. And you don't want to be accused of parental alienation. Right. Um, And ideally you want there to be a relationship, you know, if it, if it can be a healthy relationship. So, so your answer to that was inviting him over for dinner every Sunday. Bless you. For several months. And you know, after a while we stopped it and they have a a fairly decent relationship now and it's great. And they spend time together and they're happy together. And, you know, I look back and say, because I made the divorce not about me, but about helping my child get through it and, and sort of putting myself and how I got through it sort of on the back burner, I really made it work for everybody. Yeah. And so as you look at your daughter, um, and as she starts to, be the age where she can start to learn about money. How how do you uh, teach her? And I mean, number one, you're a great role model. Like FY, you are an amazing, amazing role model for her, for for her. You've had such a strong upbringing about getting smart about money. How do you want to teach her? What are your hopes for her? Um, my hopes for her are that like myself growing up, she will have a clear understanding of the value of a dollar and what it, what spending means and sort of how to think about where your money's going and where you're spending it. Um, It was recommended to me by um, a family friend, one of these teen debit cards that's prepaid. So there's no cash allowance and, you know, here's the card and here's the money on it. And what, I've decided to do with it is say, okay, here's the card, here's the money, here's what that money covers. So you don't keep coming to mom and thinking I'm the bank and we'll just keep handing you money. But also here are the chores you're going to need to do on a regular basis so that the card continues to reload. Mm-hmm. So you're having to earn this yes. money in a way and teaching her that work ethic of hard work. Yep pays off. So that's I what I'm it. hoping for her to learn. And you're teaching her at age 12. Yes how to widely use debit slash credit cards, which is so key, how to budget. And thirdly, you're teaching that wonderful, wonderful rule that 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 reasoning that you learned that hard work yields a payoff. Right. And also because these cards all come with an app, kids can track where their money's going. I love it. And see where they're spending their money? Am I buying yeah. too many Starbucks? Yeah. Am I, you know, buying too many snacks at the deli? Or am I going out with my friends for ice cream all the time? Yeah. You know, where the money's going, which is great. And I think part of it too, especially with 
my daughter being 12, is with the internet and with YouTube and every, you know Snapchat and Instagram, they're seeing what everyone else has and what everyone else is buying. And there's the videos of the you know, the gifts people get for Christmas and the holidays and the videos of what I just bought on my latest shopping spree. And so they want all these things. And then it's like their parents are saying, no, we don't have the money or money doesn't grow on trees or it doesn't fall from the sky or we haven't won the lottery yet. But kids don't understand that. So this is really going to help her figure that piece out. So it allows her to see what her spending is. It allows you to see it too. Yes. And and be able to see, you know, how much is left. Um, Can you just share for our listeners how do you find these cards? Um, so there is it through your local bank or it what is can the best? It um, through your local bank. I initially um, went up on the website nerdwallet.com, which yep. is that credit card searching website. Love it. And then I just Googled, you know, teen debit cards and looked it up and found that the bank she has her account at actually has one. And I know a friend of hers, parents have given it to the friend. So I thought, oh, they must believe in it. Let me check it out. It seems great. And because her account is already there, it seems like a no brainer that, you know, you would do the card from there. So you are such a role model for not only our listeners, but also for um, your daughter and and just women, women at large of of learning something new, of passing on great great lessons to your daughter. Uh, So we have like about a a minute left. Is there anything else that you want to share with our listeners as far as advice or, you know, just that I'm just so in awe of how you have embraced your finances, despite not having um, a really, really significant investment background? What Um, would you say? I think the the one piece of advice I would give them is to be financially savvy to really understand your finances to take some time and to and take lean some in. time and, and invest the time in it because that's important I think one of the key things is people feel like oh I don't have the time to balance my checkbook I don't have the time to make a budget and my answer is find the time it's so important that you have these things in your life to help you manage your life and be able to pay for the things you want whether it's the clothes you need or the food you need or that vacation you'd like to take so I just encourage people to stay on top of their their money and keep it at the forefront of their minds. Well, thank you. This has been absolutely wonderful. And thank uh, you for having me. For anyone that wants to learn a little bit more about uh, our second opinion, because we so believe in second opinions, um, you can go to francisfinancial.com and click on uh, second opinion. And that gives you all the information. Um, essentially, what we do is we'll do a full analysis of all your holdings, look at how you're invested, um, what looks right, what might not be necessarily right for you. Um, the other thing I would say is when you go to the website, there's a great resource. We have our wonderful book on um, the essentially the the hidden challenges women face during and after divorce. It's a beautiful 60 page white paper um, with wonderful stories that women shared about their journey uh, to help you understand more about what you need to know about your finances, both during and after. Um, But there's also a lot of information about the process, what to expect, how long um, to expect as well. And so I think there's a lot of great information for, for everyone there. So please visit the website. And again, I just want to say a great big thank you to you. You're welcome. Thank you.